All right, what's going on, fam out there? This is Tahir Johnson, and I'm back with another episode of the Cannabis Diversity Report. Today, I have my man, David Hewitt, in the building from Meadow. David, how's it going, man? Hello. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, man, I'm glad to connect with you in Cali early in the morning, man. I appreciate you taking the time to come out. Um, I know you're like me. You said you have a little one there at home, man. So how's it been working with the little one during the quarantine? Uh, it's been it's been challenging. I think for parents during this pandemic, there is definitely like a, a nod every time you see a parent. You're like you're, you're going through it. Um, it's also been really great to just be around to have family. Um, you know, I can only imagine if you're alone and you don't have someone that just can smile and not think about all this other stuff. Um, that's been really helpful. And then, um, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm in the, in the camp of looking for different activities and things. So for four-year-olds, so if anyone out there has that, hit me up. <laughs> I feel you. I'm trying to figure this thing. Where can I get five, 10 minutes of this? Right. Right. <laughs> of engagement. So to, so to um, take it back to Meadow, um, Meadow builds a number of software solutions for California's cannabis industry. Tell us a little bit more about the company and, and what you guys do. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're based in San Francisco. Uh, we started here in 2014, and um, you know we've been building software kind of in lockstep with legalization. Uh, when we started in California, we were in this environment of Prop 215. Uh, amazing program um, that ran for, for over two decades because of Dennis Perone, Brownie Mary. And um, and what was amazing about it, it was built off of compassion. So it was a collective model through donation process and was all medical. Uh, so our initial foray was really building out a way to get better delivery um, and more reliable, more high quality. We ended up working with a dispensary called Vape Room, um, my first dispensary ever visited uh, in, in Lower Haight. Then they went straight to delivery, and you know we started building out a delivery app um, that allowed people to order basically right from Vape Room to deliver to their door. Uh, it was pretty great. And then um, yeah, and then that's when we started, and we evolved from there. We got into Y Combinator. Uh, we started helping people get recommendations for uh, with a doctor we work with at, uh, at Oaksterdam. We um, then graduated from Y Combinator, raised a seed round, and decided to focus more on the, the B2B side. Initially, we're B2C, basically helping connect consumers to dispensaries. And we just saw that there was a huge need for more tools as regulations were going to get more and more complicated. So going from Prop 215 to 64, we had a whole bunch of bills in the middle and a different bunch of emergency regulations that changed the environment every single time. Uh, so we just focused on compliance operations and really helping with you know different marketing suites to, to give them all the things they needed to, to operate. Right. So so talk about the um, Y Combinator a little bit more. That's something I wanted to ask you about. So. For anybody that doesn't know, um, Y Combinator is a seed money startup accelerator, and they've actually been instrumental in launching some pretty large tech companies today, um, like Stripe, Airbnb, Coinbase, and Twitch, along with a few others. 
Um, and you're the first cannabis company that's gone through there. Um, so what would you say that you learned through the process of being a part of something like that, especially about raising capital for your business? Um, and what about that process you think you could teach um, other entrepreneurs or minorities that need to learn more about that area? Yeah, um, YC was amazing. I think uh, if you can get into any sort of accelerator, incubator, anything where you have really good mentorship, that that's helpful. Uh, what ends up happening with Y Combinator, they do a... They invest 125 grand uh, for about 7% of your business. And uh, it's in, in in that exchange, there's also a three to four month program where you have mentorship from different partners. And you're also mentoring with your peer groups, broken up in different, different groups. And what you finally, you, you see is a lot of companies have the same problems. And it sort of boils down into some some principles that YC was able to to, um, to teach us, really around making something that people want. So really, and that is really talking to your customers, talking to your users, talking to your clients, talking to your partners, understanding what they are, what they need, and build. Uh, ignoring competition, uh, mainly because most companies die because of themselves, not because someone else coming out and, and you know, taking him out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as like before going into something like that, one thing I, I highly recommend is making sure you have the right co-founders. Uh, it's hard to be a solo founder. Um, it's easier to to have some people with you. And so was that uh, African proverb? If you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go, you know, with a group, with a team. Yeah, and I've been fortunate to work with uh, my co-founders in a previous startup. So, you may find people that you gel with and have chemistry that you want to embark on a on a longer journey with. Um, and you should be equal. All our all our co-founders are equal. We don't have, especially when you're starting something new, no one has more say over anyone else. Uh, we also have our own lanes. So finding mm-hmm. diversity within your co-founder group so you have com- implicit trust that they own their lane, you own your lane, but you, there's a mutual respect and understanding for, for what you're trying to accomplish. That's really important, especially early days when you're trying to get a product off the ground where there's a lot of stress. Um, and why Commander actually helped us build more of a, a, I don't know, a cadence, a pace, on growing and like working with each other in that environment, which made us stronger, uh, which was awesome. And then as far as your question on raising money, uh, early days, a lot of investors are definitely looking at the team. So having a really solid team is is important that knows what they're doing and what's going on. The second is a a market that's large. Cannabis is pretty big. It's going to get bigger. yeah, so our opinion is that there's plenty of room for everybody. It's there's just when this thing really pops off, we're talking about you know smoking OG in Tokyo, right? From Mendocino right. or like it's just going to be insane. Um, and then the other thing is having a product that people need or or in this in this environment need. Um, want is kind of before COVID, I would say. What do people need? What's essential? And then um, getting all of that down into a pitch that is digestible to the investor, that they get that aha moment. And this is why um, 
you know, the world needs this and this is the team that's going to do it. And this is why we, you know, we should back them. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you're right. And I think in a startup, um, there are some things that are probably pretty consistent, um, you know, in any type of business that you need to understand. And I know you work very closely with a lot of different cannabis businesses um, by virtue of what you do. So as you see from like your experience and your perspective, what are some of the most important things that you think um, people starting out in cannabis businesses should be thinking about, um, whether it's how they implement technology or, you know, just, um, you know, just getting a business going in general? Like where, you know, where have you seen kind of the success? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really kind of go back to team. Team's really important. Uh, people build things. Without people, you just have an idea. And, you know, so it, it really is important to have the, the team. At, at Meadow, we have this, um, I don't know if you ever played like old school Nintendo, right? You have your A button and B button, right? You got yeah. that little controller. Uh, but that A and B would get you through as many levels as you need to get through. And that was like your, your power, right? Um, so we kind of focus on our A and B button. We also have other people that have their A and B. So once you have this like diversity of skills and talent, you can really start tackling, um, you know, your objectives, your, your goals. So finding a really good team that you can rely on, especially because cannabis is unconventional, uh, turbulent. It is, um, it's one of those things that you want to make sure whoever's in your, on your crew, on your, on your boat, that, it's it, it, everyone knows what to do. Uh, so I think that's really important. The second is trust, but verify. I think um, one thing that as we've kind of come up, come up in this industry is, you know, in prop 215 world in compassion world, like people, it was all about people's word. There weren't credit lines or investors or anything like that. You are your reputation. You are your word. Uh, nowadays, you know, you don't know who you're necessarily talking to. You want to give them a benefit of the doubt, but you definitely should verify who they are, what they're doing and, you know, people that they've worked with um, and people that can vouch for them. Right. Other advice. Uh, I mean, I think there's a there's this mentality of like the green rush that there's this um, winner take all or land grab. You, you hear some of these terms. <laughs> And I just don't subscribe to that in the sense where I still think because cannabis is so early that this thing is just going to be so big that we need as much talent and people as possible. It's just a matter of time. It's right. no longer an if, it's inevitable. And then through this inevitableness, it's going to be through a few evolutions. So you got to have this marathon pace. And you just gotta like be able to just keep rowing the boat, keep going, and kind of take small steps every day. And if you do that and you're consistent, you'll get to where you want to go. It's just gonna take a little bit longer than if you kind of rushed around and um, you know made a bunch of mistakes that you didn't want to. Right. And you know, it, it sounds like something that's that's always pretty consistent in your message is like the people and the culture, right? And um, I'll say, speaking of culture. When I first got came into the cannabis industry, I remember seeing like the Camp Meadowlands retreat and I was looking at it like, yo, that looks so dope. Yo, like I, <laughs> I, I wish I could go like, 
how can I get an invite? Um, tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, you know, what's that like? What's that like? How did it come about? What do you guys do with the retreat? And can I get can I get in at the next one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, we were actually supposed to have it next month, uh, in physically, but you know, going with COVID and everything, we've decided to go virtual. Okay, uh, this would be our third one, uh, but we do have a, a date locked in for next year. It's it's amazing, man. It's like imagine all your favorite people in this industry, uh, in the redwoods in Mendocino, in this huge campgrounds. It's like two hundred acres. Mm-hmm. where, um, you know, food's taken care of, really great conversations, you know, an amphitheater where you're smoking cannabis, hearing what people are doing. You got archery, you got campfires, you got s'mores. It's um, it's like cannabis camp. And it's like, it's way different than any of the like conventions or hotels or like those things. It's like back to nature. It's... Um, a little bit more do it yourself. You can bring your own tent. You can bring a van or a camp. It's it's cool, man. And I, what I love about it, it really helps people get alignment. It allows community to kind of see different perspective, get out from what they were doing, and then meet and see like a curated group of people that really care about uh, this plant. Um, but it started. You know, uh, Meadow really believes in community. We've hosted hundreds of events since 2014 whether it's getting together and having um, a talk uh, or read through of the regulations or having a, a barbecue or a happy hour or going to a festival and powering some stuff there. Like we've, we've done a lot and uh, Meadowlands came about through just, we ha- needed more, we needed more space. The, the, the stuff that we were doing just like kind of got larger than what we could handle. And uh what was awesome about the the location is Camp Navarro. Camp Navarro is in Mendocino. We had the first time I went there was with Y Combinator in Camp YC. So the first time I got there, we were doing meadow. I was like, "Yo, we're gonna come back and we're gonna do a cannabis event here." And he's like, "Okay, maybe you know, keep me up in the loop," because um, there aren't that many progressive venues that would allow cannabis and all this other stuff. So uh, Dan from Camp Navarro was super key. And, and believing in that vision and making it happen. That's super dope, man. Um, and I, you know, I, I think it's um, one of the things that I that I like to do here on this show is like really highlight diversity. Um, and I think one of the things that was interesting that I read about you um, was that you worked at your family's Chinese food restaurant, the Golden Dragon. Um, yeah. what, what did that teach you about entrepreneurship, hard, like hard work and then building generational wealth that you, that you apply in like what you do today? Yeah. All right. So the golden dragon still is operating. It's in Plymouth meeting, Conshohocken in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, my family's still there. If you go in right now, my mom is literally going to greet you. It's only takeout. I can't sit in anymore. So it's it's been there longer than I've been alive. So it's on year thirty eight. Um, so it's a family restaurant. So it's a bunch of uh, my aunts are there, my grandmother is there, my dad is in the kitchen with my uncle, and you know, being a chef. Uh, so family, definitely family run. Um, you know, we split the profits. Uh, we take you know every hit together. It's been it's been a journey, man. Um, our family immigrated from Vietnam in 78, 79, right around there. 
and uh, we were sponsored from a church um, that brought us over. Uh, the family would, you know, left Vietnam for the, from the war and then came over and after doing some odds and ends, decided to go in on this restaurant to create our own business. Um, so kind of like that's the framing of sort of where my upbringing was. And we spent a lot of time in the restaurant. Um, there's no babysitters. We just were in the restaurant. So you were learning so, how to work, right? When you were everything, there. everything, <laughs> everything. Um, peeling, you know, I remember peeling 12 blocks of shrimp, you know, 40 pounders, just like boom, 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 or uh, making egg rolls or dumplings or takeout or waiting or uh, cashier. I've run every single position. Um, and then when we started getting into like, middle school, high school, we started getting paid, which was nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so it was interesting because now we were in control of our own finances. And if we wanted money, we would just go work at the restaurant to go get it. And then we'd buy our own things. So there was definitely this work ethic and, um, oh, restaurant life is hard. It's 10 to 12 hour days, uh, really no breaks throughout the week. And if you know, Chinese restaurants, we don't take breaks. Not every, every house. <laughs> Every, every Chinese food. Yeah, every holiday. So like if it's Christmas, I'm literally hanging out with like my Jewish friends that are coming through and like watching a movie because they're not doing their thing. If it's mm -hmm. July 4th, you know, people are getting takeout. Um, so, yeah. And so there was this like beat of the drum that was like you just don't let up and you just keep going. So that that drive, that work ethic was really instilled because you can't complain as a kid because your mom and dad are doing the same thing. Yeah, it's just like, there's no choice. And then what's nice is other, other kids, my cousins were in there too. So our, my cousins and I are pretty close. It's pretty much like brothers and sisters growing up. And so we would watch ourselves and like help each other out. And it kept us out of trouble, right? We didn't go looking for trouble because we were just working at the restaurant. Um, so that was definitely formidable in, in how it created our, at least my, my drive. As far as creating generational wealth and your, your questions there, um, you know, we were super fortunate and super blessed to be in a good school district. Um, we worked a lot on our grades. I got into Penn State, uh, got there on a bunch of scholarships. Um, and I think like from a first generation standpoint, you know, education, having the, the, the resources, being lucky, um, having people mentorship, you know, really just working your butt off and not like taking um, any excuses to, to not do well because your family sacrificed a lot to get here. There was this weird thing now that we're talking about it. I could, there was not many moments I could complain to my parents right? Because ultimately I knew it would be, we didn't even get to go to school. You are in school. This is your job. Go get this done. And mm -hmm. like, and that, then it kind of filtered like, all right, I have this opportunity. I need to make them proud. How do I, how do I do that? Um, so yeah, I, I kind of just took that and ran with it from right after I, I stopped working at the restaurant, mainly when I got into college. So I started taking up internships and working at other companies and, and stuff like that. So, you know, my advice is 
do your best to, you know, do well in school, but then try to get as much work experience as possible. Whether you're cutting people's lawns, whether you're like helping people organize their files at their home or whatever you can do, because every single job you get builds this is another tool in your toolbox that you just keep putting in there. And as you get up to speed to whatever you want to do and whatever you want to build, you can look in your box and be like, oh, I remember how to do QuickBooks because I used to do it for so-and-so. Let me just start doing that. Or, hey, I need to figure out contracts or whatever. Oh, I remember talking to a lawyer guy or someone I went to school with. And, you know, it's all these different um, connections. And if you start doing that early or early enough, by the time you're able to operate, you have a, a list of mentors or experience that you can, you know, delve on from. Right. And that's so true, man. And, and I think it makes me think about, I, you know, there's so many different things that I've learned along the way from different jobs that I probably thought I hated and never even knew that it would come in handy someday. Right. And, yep. and I think to the point of starting early, it's definitely something that I try to do. So like my six year old daughter, she did a lemonade stand this um, this summer so that she could try to learn about earning her own money and yeah. stuff like that. And so like, I know with you having a four-year-old, with you being in business, do you kind of do anything to like teach, you know, teach, teach them or understand anything about business or whatnot so yet or? We haven't gotten there, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've been focused on, um, <laughs> we've just been focused on like, okay, is she napping, is she, is she eating, yeah. all that. Yeah. But I think when it comes down to it, you know, probably things that we'll we'll teach, like I think babysitting is going to be great for her. Mm -hmm. She loves other kids and stuff. Um, so I think babysitting will be a big one. And then like, you know, for us, it's been teaching her that both both of the parents are in the cannabis industry. Right. right? So like we she's not going to grow in this grow up in this world where there was a stigma or like cannabis, all this stuff being in San Francisco, it's a pretty progressive city where it's like, Oh, your parents are doing that. Okay, cool. Like it, it, it works. Um, so those are things that I'm pretty happy about, but you know, as far as teaching her about money and finances, man, I wish I, I got those classes in school, right? Oh, right? Like no one really taught that. Um, you know, money management, like in Chinese culture, you get like this red envelope every for Chinese New Year or birthdays. It's just full of cash. Mm -hmm. People just give you cash. Mm -hmm. I didn't invest in any of that. I just spent it on candy. I spent it on toys. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe like things that I would think about if I had to redo it for her, maybe start her off with, a, you know, an early Roth IRA or like start mm -hmm. investing into a, a 529 for her college or, you know, things like that, that kind of set her up so she doesn't have to come out with debt when, you know, she gets there. I think that's one of the biggest problems we see right now. It's that, yes. you know, kids go to college, they spend all this money on this degree or they get out of college and they're like, you know what? I need an MBA or I need to go to grad school. And all of a sudden they come out, they're like 50, hundred grand in debt. So that first four to 10 years, you're just working off that debt. And you never have that chance to get that freedom or take that risk when you're younger, when the risks and the failure is, is minimal. Um, so, you know, it's like stuff like that, where I think having that financial freedom earlier in your career 
or life to be able to pursue like, all right, I'm just doing internship internship with to here and just like learn about whatever. Like, right. sure, go, like, go do it. It's, uh, you know, that's the stuff I think uh, where I would, uh, where I, I would hope she would have. Mm -hmm. And, and to the point that you made about, you know, working together with family and you and your wife both being in the industry, I saw that she has a cooking blog. And so are any, are those recipes infused? And so what, and what is your favorite edibles recipe if so? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, before getting into Meadow, I went to Oaksterdam in order to work on starting a, an edibles company with her. Okay. That's kind I'm of the original. Yeah. Oaksterdam, man. It's, it's yeah, great. Um, yeah. That's like, and then when I learned, uh, you know, from there, we didn't start right away, but the following year she started working on edibles. Uh, so she has a, a company and a product called Mellows. Mellows are five milligram infused gourmet handcrafted marshmallows. So mm. like brown butter, sage, strawberry shortcake, chocolate malt. These are the flavors that she has. Uh, she's Dang. been doing it since 2015. Yeah, it's good. It's been done since 2015. Um, she's based in San Francisco. Uh, she's in like 40 some stores, but she also has a cookbook called Edibles. Uh, it's on you know on any of the the major um, bookseller online. And Edibles is co-authored with uh, Corrine, who uh, you know they both went to cooking school, uh, San Francisco cooking school. Okay, and then that was. Uh, right after she was doing the, the food blog. So her food blog is called like Lick My Spoon. And she basically got to eat all these great meals everywhere. And I would like kind of go on with her. And then uh, it just been went from eating all these meals, like I want to cook these meals more and replicate. So then I went to cooking school and then created this edibles company. And, you know, here we are. So mm -hmm. yeah, food's a big part of our lives. And um, edibles, the recipes in the book, uh, my favorite is um, I like the green eggs and ham. That's green pretty good. Yeah, okay. that's good. Uh, the duck burgers are amazing, and the red beet hummus is great. So you can infuse all of those, and you can kind of like you know add to your your dosage amount that you you can tolerate. Yeah. So these are like real, real recipes, real food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's super real, um, and like different different interactions and different groups. Okay. Yeah. I have to check it out. Um, and you know, to, to think about something a little bit more, um, you know, where you said um, Chinese culture, but I know you mentioned your family's from Vietnam and I, I know a lot of what I read when you look at um, cannabis, like his, his historically, um, like when they look in the Chinese pharmacopoeia, that was some of the earliest um, like mentions of cannabis being used as medicine. Um, like traditionally, um, do you know, are there any things that like taught like herbal or natural remedies that, you know, where that's always been like important to you or is like cannabis something where, you know, is the family look down on it? How do they perceive it? Do they, do they recognize that or is it more still like it's, you know, you're in the cannabis industry? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been smoking since high school. I'll, my parents didn't know, uh, for a while. Um, and then when I told them I was going into cannabis, they were originally pretty, like just you sure um i think i've built enough credibility with my like my work and what i've done uh where they you know trust my judgment 
but they were also like, you sure about this? Um, and then I started talking about Chinese medicine and I bridged the gap there. And then for them, I was like, oh, it's an herb, it's medicine. And then they were fully supportive. I mean, things about us growing up, um, you know, bone broths, different uh, soups and like stewed medicines were part of our culture. Um, a lot around, uh, you know, healing yourself through food and herbs, not necessarily taking pharmaceuticals, a lot of that. So, uh, you know, especially for me, when I, um, when I, you know, started doing more cannabis, it just made a lot more sense because I, in another job was in a health space that was primarily motivated by pharmaculture. So a lot of different medicines and pills and things and treatments and that juxtaposed to my upbringing and then kind of coming into cannabis, it gave me this perspective of, okay, people are just trying to get healing. They're trying to get well. This is a plant. This is a way for us to heal and, um, you know, and then move forward. So it's, um, yeah, Chinese herbal medicine is, is there. Cannabis is being has been used for thousands of years everywhere. Uh, I think they just found it at some um, uh, some like archaeological dig that was like uh, right. There's like it's there's yeah. evidence everywhere. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think and yeah, I think it was like hemp or something like that from like ten thousand years ago. Crazy, crazy like that. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, I, that makes total sense to me. I'm just like, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I want to. It's there. It's natural. It's just like it's way more potent now. Right. I agree. And, um, you know, with um, like with you being being there in California, um, are you doing anything specific to kind of support minority owned business owners or anything like that through through Meadow or um, anything? Yeah. Like that? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 early. We, we care a lot about diversity. Um, I mean, we we there's a very strong culture at meadow around this concept we stand on the shoulders of giants that this opportunity that we have in front of us is built on people in previous generations and unfortunately a lot of that uh the the collateral damage on the war on drugs have affected you know a lot of people people of color uh but also our you know my own personal run-ins with cannabis and, and, you know, police, I know if I was a different shade darker that I would have, you know, gone to jail, right? Like statistically it's there. So that is, um, uh, a sobering fact that we all, uh, know. And because of that, we, we've done a lot of work there. So whether it's hosting a lot of it's around education. So we, we spent a lot of time in education. The other thing we spent a lot of time on is policy. Um, and then another thing we do is try to help, um, local and state figure out how to support these businesses besides just a license, right? The it's what we're seeing in the cannabis industry, the best of the best are still not making it right. Mm -hmm. This is a unforgiving industry if you just don't get all the the things aligned right business in general is unforgiving industry right 
you can have, um, you know, the what three years in over 50, 60% of businesses fail, something like that, some crazy stat. So we, we think a lot about, so what we've done is over the years, a lot of education. So hosting our own workshops, um, we, we have discounted pricing for equity operators. Uh, we have, you know, Meadowlands, we gave out scholarships for people of color. So like, and equity operators. So Meadowlands was really different from a lot of other conferences where we had way more color across the spectrum Dope. than traditional conferences, which are like $800 price tickets to get in. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just, we, we, we made it accessible. Uh, things that we're focused on this year, um, we're actually working with more nonprofits that have resources um, within the communities. Like we're really trying to not just focus on the entrepreneur, but focus on the community itself. Because ideally what should happen is an equity operator gets a license, they operate, and that money gets turned over within local community. It doesn't right. get siphoned out to some Canadian pub co, right? It, right? it is, hey, you're a local business owner, you hire local people, you're buying from local groups, that money is getting fed into, you know, the pizza shop down there or the packaging company down there. Like, how do we like really build a, a local economy around it? And that's like educating, you know, other other communities. And so working with nonprofits on that, um, just finished a few workshops there. And then um, other stuff for me that I work on separately uh, with that happened this year is a group with Y Combinator founders called ACE. It's allies creating equity. So one of the things I'm realizing, and you may see this too, a lot of the disparity and inequality that we're witnessing right now and the uprising and all that, a lot of it has come from the war on drugs. Absolutely. And all these nonprofits and all these things that have been staged up, all these resources are supporting something that generations or decades ago that have been pervasive have now caught up to where we are now. So what we're trying to do is help people um, heal uh, any sort of, you know, we believe that racism, all this stuff could be healed. It's stuff that like you're not born with. You just kind of got indoctrinated or you learn from something. So how to re-educate, reprogram people. And then how to create uh, equity by hiring people of color, putting people of color on your board or as a board observer, uh, donating time and money and resources, mentorship, all that stuff. So we're doing that with ACE. And then my perspective from cannabis coming in is, look, if we can do all of this and we can bring in some um, some learnings from cannabis about equity, because we're the only industry in the entire world that has an equity program. Right. 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 Why isn't it in any other industry? Right. Right. Why can't we bring that and say, hey, if you just look at what we're doing here, try to like there, there, there could be an uplifting across the board. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. Because you, like you said, it's not exclusive to cannabis that people of color were impacted by the war on drugs. So, I mean, exactly. Reparations is something that is, um, I mean, it, it should be an ongoing conversation across. Absolutely. 
And absolutely. And so in tech, it's it's not foreign, right? It, it's not as diverse as it should be. So how do we encourage, like, why does uh, someone that has been arrested have to go and work in the cannabis industry in order to get equity? Why can't they go work in the tech industry? Right. You know, why aren't we, you know, if, we're, if it's about reparations, in my mind, why isn't there just a fund being set up and just give people money directly? And maybe it's not a lot in the beginning, right? Maybe it's a few bucks here and there, but as this industry grows and as that, that bucket will grow, and then we can, you know, start moving forward by healing our past, um, our past, you know, problems. So yeah, the, the equity stuff is, is really important to us, um, mainly because we're so early that the, the work that we do now, that trajectory, even by a few degrees, if we can make it more diverse, then by the time this thing matures a bit more, it's not just like a lot of other industries where it's completely um, uh, whitewashed. Right. right. Where, where it's completely devoid of any culture or um, creativity or, you know, that's that's what it is. Like diverse teams perform better. That's straight yeah. up. That's just what happens. Diverse yeah. industries will perform better. And um, yeah, but I've been learning a lot, man. It's 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 a lot. The, the whole thing around like racism or anti-racism. Right. The, the whole thing about, um, you know, really understanding just the, the, the inequality that has happened and how to, how to bridge it. It's, there's a lot there to unpack. Uh, it's not lost on us at all. So we try to do our best there um, to, to help push that forward. Right. Well, yeah, man, we definitely have to connect and talk more. Um, so NCIA, we launched our social equity scholarship program a little over a month ago. And right now we have over 80 um, new members that are social equity licensees and applicants from all over the country. Um, definitely a lot of them, quite a few in California. So I know, like you said, you guys are already discounting um, equity operators. Maybe that's something we can connect around. And um, like I said, with um, definitely people like you that, um, you know, support these issues, definitely want to um, have you involved. So we'll definitely talk about that. man. Sure. Happy to. I mean that's that's easy. That's like a layup. Bring it on, yeah. like yeah. You know, the stuff yeah. that we're, we're trying to figure out right now, kind of like that. So we did the MCBA policy summit uh, about like a month, month or two ago. How to create a homogenous structure across? Well, in California, for us, we have all these different counties. How to create a more standardized equity program that can help bridge the gap. You know, each municipality is a little bit different, but we have there. There's money coming in, so how do we kind of keep making that count the the best way possible to support these people? Yep, yep. And um, you know, man, uh, you know, I, this, this has definitely been dope talking to you, man. You have a, a dope perspective on a lot of different things, man. Thanks, um, I appreciate it. I mean, you know, I appreciate you, man. This is great. Yeah, man. And I, you know, just want to ask, is there, is there anything upcoming that Meadow is working on or anything important that you want to share and kind of let people know about that you have going on? Um, we have Meadowlands coming up. I think that's a, a big one. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I had a, I just think like if we can go back to a little bit more compassion 
in this industry, especially because that's where it's been built. Um, a little bit more like giving a benefit of the doubt to the other person and realizing that like you can't, there isn't this, you know, monopolistic culture. It has to be more around we all working together. It's it's like team cannabis is kind of the, the idea, right? It's not just mm -hmm. team Meadow or team NCIA or team whatever. It's just, this is team cannabis and we got to get as many people on our side and to like, Take your time to, to get there. Um, everyone seems to be in a rush. So the, the thing that I'm most thankful for this year is we've been able to get essential designation. Mm -hmm. And that's a game changer. Yeah, right? It's a it's an insane game changer that I think we're just we're gonna that it will be this inflection point that we're gonna see as we, we move forward. So we are grateful to be part of that and we should be grateful to like kind of see that this is going to be a um an industry we can grow together in and to take more of a, a long-term approach right and well man we have the um the more act possibly getting ready to come up for vote this month what do you um what do you think about that yeah i mean uh, like i said all these things are inevitable right um more it's the, there's if there's one issue the the country can agree on it's cannabis at the moment it, it makes sense to me right uh we need banking we need decriminalization we need legalization we need tax revenue we need jobs if we look at all the things that are happening in in the world or in the country cannabis is an ecosystem builder it's not just hey we're giving licenses out each license is going to produce tax revenue. It's going to produce real estate rentals or acquisition or improvements to the physical space. It's going to, uh, you know, employ accountants and bud tenders and consultants. It's going to, you know, be the packaging people and all that stuff. We know that's going to work because the illicit market, the legal market, it, it's they're booming. So we can get as much of that over and quicker the better we are off and you know the other side to it it's better for mental health right if you look at the states that legalize cannabis there's a 25 percent drop immediately on opioid overdoses mm -hmm. there is you know um alcohol uh consumption comes down um teenage use is coming down which is crazy right so like it, it's just this it's this virtuous cycle of positive effects that have had years and years now of data that like the conversation in 2014, like, Oh my God, we're going to legalize it. The kids are going to get crazy. Right. None of it came true. And, you know, we also have in parallel, the hemp industry, which is the same plant moving through. And I think we're going to see a lot of things happen with different cannabinoids and, um, the raw material being used for different uh, hardware or plastics uh, replacements. So uh, I'm super stoked around what's going to come um, because it just helps the industry kind of take off these weights or these shackles, right? Where you have banking, you have uh, a real bank account, you can do credit cards, you can oh. do you know, all this stuff uh, and may 280E could go away. So it's, 
yeah, there's a lot of stuff to look forward to, but it's just going to take time. Yeah, man, I definitely agree. Well, man, it's definitely dope catching up with you, man. Looking forward to staying in touch and talking and following and um, uh, the, the getting to for the Meadow Camp next year. <laughs> Try to be yeah. for that. Um, and even, like I said, good, good luck with the virtual events you have coming up. I definitely appreciate you coming on and kind of sharing your wisdom and, and rapping with me for a minute. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate yep. all the work that you're doing. Yep. Well, thank you, bro. Be easy, man. We'll talk soon. Excellent. Peace. Yep. Peace.